0: And hey folks, we're back. I got an awesome guest today. My guest today sold his business and he bought a boat and a couple other things. So we're gonna get into that actually and his journey there and scaling the team and what he's doing now and how he's thinking about it, especially post-exit. You know, do you stay on, do you leave? All that good stuff in between. I sold my business and found it confusing with what's next. Wealth Management, Lifestyle Creep, Concierge Services, Fat fire, and a bunch more. This show, after the exit, brings on guests who have experienced the same, and they're going to share what they learned, uh, helping others through the process. So hopefully you find this helpful, and uh, you also notice that we keep the guests anonymous to help share more. All right, let's jump on it. We're live now, so thank you again for taking the time out. You're super busy. got a new family as well, of which congrats on that, which is really cool. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, how was it? Worse. <laughs> yeah. How has that changed your, you know, we don't have kids, but thinking about it, going through that, how, how has that changed you as an entrepreneur though too? and Although now you're post-exit, which we'll get into, so maybe the time requirements are a bit different, but... Is it changing any of your outlook on stuff?
1: Yeah, what I'd say is, um, you know, we've got a daughter that's and she's a little bit over a year old at this point. And it definitely changes a couple of things where it's like, number one, have another thing, thing person that I want to spend time with. Yeah. Although in the evening, late afternoon, when it is getting to be time to call it a day, it's like I'm excited to go home and spend a couple hours with her. And, and that's fine. And then I'd also say it also, as I start thinking about like longer term decisions on where do I want to spend time? Where do I want to invest money? Where do I want to like all of those things? It's, it's another, another criteria in those decisions as like, what's best for her.
0: Yeah. That's interesting, actually. I, I'm going backwards. Normally, like, start, like, to, to frame it, but, uh, uh, like, about what you did and how you got here. But uh, just because we're talking about it right now, I'm just going to continue this. Do, do you think you'd go back in and start something else, like start another business, knowing this or, like, because from... I also think about just how much I feel like I dedicated to the business. Like, I am sure you're the same, just literally giving it everything all hours, at all times, and it, and I would argue that it. I felt like it required that. Maybe maybe I wasn't the best at delegating and and managing in some other areas, but not to say that you can't have kids and run a business. I'm sure a lot of people have done that very successfully.
1: Yeah, as I think about it, and look, I'm about a year year ish away from maybe having an opportunity to go do what's next, and some of the like golden handcuff stuff falls away. So have started to spend more time thinking about this. And I think for me, it's probably one of like, Hey, I'm not going to retire. Like that's even if I maybe could like that's, that's a waste of time and like potential. Yeah. So I think about what's next. It's probably one of a couple of paths where it's like, number one is go back and go from zero to one and find an idea and find something that passionate about and, and do that. Number two, and I was actually on a panel um at an industry event maybe six months ago and I was talking with this billionaire, ultra successful internet like legend. Yeah. And I was asking him some of the like, you know, you're in my situation, what do you do? Uh-huh. And his response was he's like, going from zero to one is a pain in the ass. Yeah, or you say, buy something? He said, buy something. He said, yeah. buy something that you believe in and take it from one to 10. He's like, that'll be more fulfilling. It'll be easier than trying to go zero to one.
0: I've, I've been talking and getting lunch with a couple of people about this specific thing because the zero to one absolutely, and it's like that product market fit, basics of getting a team you know, the product and all this stuff, it's such a heavy lift. You're like digging a ditch for the longest time before you can even lay concrete down. So anyway, and maybe it's also the popularity of like you know, microacquire and some of these other business yeah. SaaS selling websites that popped up.
1: But I think, I do think also going from zero to one, like you can probably relate. There, there's so much that we've learned through that process of doing it once that I feel like not doing that again, or said another way, like second time founders, second time entrepreneurs have such an easier path on, on all regards of whether it's, you know, things that took a month before will take two or three days now raising capital so much easier the second or third time around. So it's like with all of this advantage to not capitalize on that also seems like maybe a waste.
0: Interesting. So, are are you kind of debating that? I guess you got a year or so.
1: That's almost like daily the internal debate is like, what do we do next?
0: Yeah, it is interesting too because you're right. I think I uh, sure zero to one, and that's not like a necessarily a revenue target thing, but the, the sort of setting everything up phase. Yeah, you're right. I could go back, and I think I could do it better. The scaling phase, though, I'm probably learning more about now. Whereas I couldn't, I wouldn't be, I I don't know if I would be as good at it versus the zero to one, like your point where is, yeah, I I knew, okay, we got to get these tools set up. I need this, set this up. This is when we hired this person and so on, so on. So do you feel like, well, all right, let me go back actually real quick. So you started business with, was it a friend? Yeah.
1: She had been a good friend for a number of years and then we were both working full-time jobs. And I left a little bit, I left my job a little bit earlier than he did, but ultimately he quit his job and then joined me and was a co-founder.
0: Got it, got it. And it was, well, no, I shouldn't say SaaS, but like it's a software company. Yeah, it was definitely software. There's a SaaS component, right? Or no, I, I can't remember yes. the.
1: There's a premium component and then other add-on ancillary revenue things. So you can think of it, it's similar to any business that has multiple revenue streams, right? It's like a SaaS-enabled marketplace where like, there is a, a SaaS component and then maybe we process payments for our customers. Gotcha. And there's in processing revenue. And then there's other products or tools or things that people want. And those are all additional upsells.
0: Gotcha. Were you, totally side note, were you running on Stripe for your payment processor? Because we have that as well, like on payments.
1: Yeah, so we we use Stripe for one part of our business, or I guess two parts of the business. And then we've also got a homegrown payment processing product.
0: Got it. For uh, the customers to use.
1: Integrate directly with a bank, large bank, and move money that way.
0: Makes sense. And how long were you guys working on the business for?
1: Before the exit? Yeah. In total from like idea through exit was about eight years.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm like when we actually, I'd say really started focusing on it full time, it was probably six.
0: Yeah. Do you think the goal was to to exit and to sell yeah. it?
1: For us, it 100% was. Like we had raised outside capital. We had investors that needed liquidity at some point and so from the first real check that we took like we knew that we were building it with the goal of selling it now back to our earlier conversation on what's next i don't know if we'd do the same thing
0: really so that's interesting um you know i bootstrapped and not taking any gamble but that was not as purposeful it was just as very ignorant to it and it seemed scary and like I don't understand this stuff like what you guys are talking about and bips and, you know, but um, why wouldn't you? Do you, do you think it's because you wouldn't want maybe another exit or is it just because to, to be your own boss in a way? Or what do you think?
1: Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think it, well, could have had an exit, been through that experience, had their life-changing kind of event financially. And... So now I think about different priorities. And it's like, let's say there's an opportunity to bootstrap something to, you know, X dollars in income per month and not give up any ownership, any control. That frankly sounds really appealing if the number is big enough Uh, and can continue reinvesting and and growing the business that way. I think that's 100%... I mean, that would be a a dream, would be to just have a business that spits off passive income and grow it that way. That said, there's an, that would probably be all else equal, maybe a less ambitious problem to solve. Uh Right. Like you or I could probably dream up a dozen companies right now that could spit off, I don't know, five figure monthly incomes just stupid SaaS products, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I think, and and those would be a great lifestyle business in a sense. Now, to go out and start, you know, a healthcare company that's going to change healthcare, like that, that type of business, much bigger ambition would likely require outside capital, which almost by definition means you're going to seek to sell it. At some point, got it. So other part of that,
0: yeah. yeah. What what was your thinking of taking capital? It was because you wanted to do, like I guess the first time around. Do you feel like you needed to in thinking hindsight, or was it? Yeah, I guess I'm just thinking through your your thought process of that one.
1: Yeah, the difference. I think the first time around, we probably, if I'm being honest with myself, we took capital t- like too early when we probably didn't need it.
0: Uh-huh.
1: We we got pushed into spending on things that probably weren't worth spending on. So for example, spending on AdWords, like Google AdWords, just to show up into the right growth when maybe it wasn't the right thing for the business. And so I think the second time around would be much more intentional about doing that.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. I, it also feels like running a tech company, there's a stream of water and it all points towards like the mouth of VC. Like it's like tech crunch and hacker news and like you know, just any media publication. It's it's always focused on venture capital and unicorns and, and all the buzzwords and stuff. So at least that's how I felt. It was it was just like that those are the companies that always get covered.
1: Yeah, though I mean, that's the system that's that's the exciting thing and it's one of those like you can't can't blame them. I mean, that's what captures consumer eyeballs. Like, true. If if it was sexy and if everyone wanted to read about a couple of guys in the Midwest like bootstrapping a business and and not raising outside capital and slow and steady growth, like the journalists would would write about that stuff.
0: Yeah, unless you're polarizing, maybe like the um, like the base camp guys you know yeah. Jason Fried mm-hmm. and uh, David and yeah so uh, roughly like what size were you when sort of the M&A talks started to come on like just people wise or
1: yeah so I think there's two answers to that so really the entire time that we were building the business we were having M&A talks of some some size. oh interesting okay long. like which is probably I, pretty smart so I think We screwed up a lot in building the company, but one thing I do give us credit for, and I think we did really well, is we built relationships with the 10 companies most likely to acquire the company.
0: Genius. And we're very
1: very thoughtful in saying, you know, here's the 10 most likely buyers. Here's the head of corp dev. Here's the business person at each. We need to get to know these people one way or another. Yeah. And then, so over the years, like, we entertained M&A conversations with a number of companies. We actually, oddly enough, like, when we were going through the sale process, we were also looking to potentially buy one of our competitors. Yeah. Hey. So we were always kind of having those kick me. What,
0: what, enjoy- what were some of those earlier conversations like like was it you trying to show like was it just friendly and like an update of how the business is going or like because I'm thinking of how how would I have had those conversations earlier on I sure meeting up with competitors or potential acquirers and just meeting them and just getting lunch that's one thing but was there anything purposeful uh, as in like you know sort of trying to pitch the business to them is hey look guys like I think there's something there where this could work well. I don't know. What do you guys think or what? Yeah. So we were,
1: I mean, to be clear, we we're never pitching M&A. We were always pitching like, hey, we could partner. We could work together. We could like A plus or one plus one equals four. Like we can, you know, you guys have this audience. We have this product. Like there's got to be a way that we can work together and solve the audience pain points. And also make money along the way that we could split and share. And, or maybe like doing this makes your customers better customers for your business. So we we're, we we're really always pitching angles like that. It was never, uh, hey, let you guys should, should buy our business.
0: Got it. Got it. And so they, the last, so, so yeah, walk through. So, so you were looking at buying a company. Then I guess this other company was being more serious about buying you. What was all happening there?
1: Yeah, so rewind the clock a few years ago. We were having discussions around raising our next round of funding. And then while we were having those fundraise conversations, we also were talking with actually a large company, like a Fortune 50 company, about partnering And about like cross-selling our product to their customers and all of this. And like go from then a few months forward, we had raised capital and we were in a really good place. And this big fortune 50 company was like, look, while we'd like to partner, we actually think there's a bigger M&A opportunity here. So would you guys be willing to, to have those discussions? Knowing that you just raised capital, and I, I kind of said, "Look, we're we're always open to talking. It would be foolish not to." And frankly, with outside investors, and as the CEO, I've got a fiduciary duty to to like listen. So let's talk. So we had a conversation. We had a series of discussions, and then it was actually maybe a, two months later. Then, right that. We were being kind of warmed and prepped and, hey, you, you'll you probably get a turn sheet from us in the next week or so to buy the business. And at that point, I had a conversation with our board and I said, look, if we're going to go down this path, I've got this this list of 10 other companies that are likely buyers. And I'd probably owe it to all of us sure. to to reach out to those 10.
0: What'd you say? Do you remember to the other 10
1: I just said look hey so and so it's been a while you know hope everything's well hope you're enjoying your summer we're going through a MA process I don't know like I don't know where you guys are at as a company but if it makes sense for us to talk let's talk Got it and out of the 10 I think six followed up and said yeah let's talk
0: hey um
1: the other four kind of said you know We're not in a position to do anything right now. And it was one of those six that responded that we ultimately ended up selling to.
0: Really? So it wasn't the original one?
1: No. No, it wasn't.
0: And that, you know, I'm assuming you kind of said, look, like, here's here's what's being offered and then let people ping pong back and forth to get their price up?
1: Yeah. So what's interesting is that first company that had put us through this like two to three month diligence process and had told us, hey, a, a term sheet's coming next week. Um, they actually never never got there.
0: Really?
1: So then <laughs> this like, um, we were talking with a couple of those ones that I had reached out to and said, you know, let them go back and forth a little bit. We never hired a banker to negotiate on our behalf so i'm having all of these discussions with with these different companies the company that ended up buying us their initial offer was quite a bit lower than where we ended up selling for and so it was a couple months of back and forth and then you know we finally signed the term sheet and 90 roughly 90 days later closed the deal
0: so you didn't use a banker we didn't either not sure if that was good on my part or not. Actually, I I think I think everything well. Not to be like greedy or anything, but was that because you? I mean, you had a board. I'm assuming of folks that have gone through this or know people that have, so they know exactly how to help coach that. Is that why, or did you think about reaching out to an investment banker?
1: Yeah, I think for us, we had some of those skills already. And we had a very, we actually had a pretty good idea of what companies in our position would sell for. And so it wasn't like we were juggling dozens of these conversations where we needed help in managing all of that. So we were able to effectively do it ourselves and not not pay a bank riff, whatever their fee is.
0: Was from the original to where it settled at was like was it fifty percent higher, was it double? Somewhere in that range. Wow. So significant though. Which yeah. makes sense. Like no one's gonna put it all on the table first. But what helped bring that up, that was just getting some competition and back and forth.
1: Well, it was competition. It was also the fact that we had just raised capital. Eh. We just raised additional capital like six months prior. And so that so, shut up
0: the valuation
1: well so we were in a position where we had capital we were growing like crazy and we didn't need to sell like there there was a price where we would have sold and we got there but anything less and we had no issues walking away mm.
0: did you ever tell them that price or no It was, you guys kept that to yourself because part of me is like, I like, I don't like negotiating as much I would say, look, here's sort of where I'm at. And, you know, if this works out, awesome. If not, then.
1: Yeah, we were pretty direct about it. I mean, we didn't come on and give them that number per se, but like the first offer that they made, I mean, I didn't even take it back to our board. I just said, you know, appreciate it, but we're not going to sell it at that price and so then
0: <laughs> just like a two minute response time back
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it It was a phone call with someone at the company that i now work for and i i just it was a yeah like you said a two minute phone call he said look here's where i think we're at and i just said thanks but we're gonna keep growing and keep building the business uh-huh. and then he called back a few weeks later and said you know we We've gone out. We looked at other companies that are out there, and we think you guys are the best. And we can probably come up in price a little bit.
0: Were you the best because of the product that you built, or just overall brand recognition? And or,
1: yeah, I think it it was probably three things that really made us the most attractive company in our space. So I think number one, first and foremost, was our team. We had assembled a great team of, of people in this industry.
0: <laughs>
1: number two, I think it was the scale and customer and user base that we had, which was bigger than anyone else. And then number three, I think it was product. I think our product was by far the best. It was the most complete on the market. And all of those three things combined led to the it being the best and most attractive company
0: at it makes sense so you know you go through the decisions due diligence transaction happens and everything did you hit your number like or did you ever set a number like as like a magic number like i want to have this net worth not
1: really i mean i think there there's obviously certain like big numbers of like well, like, you know a x million of net worth like it could very easily be comfortable and not work again
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but below that like i'd love to have you know whatever the number is like i don't just have never subscribed to that okay and haven't but felt really good about where the deal ended and like i said i mean life changing and has fortunately allowed me to do a lot of things and one of the things i'm doing now is investing in other companies which i think is both fun and challenging exciting and intellectually engaging
0: that's interesting to think about i I feel like after that transaction too i wasn't sure fully what to invest in or like now what or like allocations you know you start to read and it's like 60 40 you know uh 60 percent stocks and kind of like um maybe S&P 500 ETFs and that stuff and 40% uh, bonds. But it's like, well, what are bonds really? And like, is that like a bond ETF? What's the difference between buying an actual bond? There's a million different types of bonds. So that was kind of confusing. How, how did you start to strike? So it sounds like you've got some angel investing stuff or VC stuff. How are you to share like what your portfolio percentage wise you want it to look like or it does look like yeah so for me
1: personally i'm probably and i'm going to kind of make up numbers i'm actually probably 50 percent public equities so <laughs> s&p 500 and other other stuff and then actually 50 percent like alternative assets of whether it's vc um have invested in a number of vc funds angel investments Real estate funds, I'm an LP in a crypto fund, so some of that stuff. And I, the way I, I look at it is I'm not looking to retire anytime soon, and so don't need income necessarily today from mm-hmm. the Therefore, I look at what's likely to produce. I don't really care about current cash yield as much as I care about the IRR. And what's going to give, what's going to make the most dollars be there in 10 years? And so I I really over-index on things that are frankly risky. Got it. And take a portfolio of things that are risky. And I think net-net, those will yield the highest IRR over 10 years.
0: Did you dollar cost averaging into the equity side or did you just dump everything in? I mostly just put it, well, so I guess there's two answers. I I have
1: put in dollars, um, when available. So I like when I've got, you know, a million dollars in a bank account, it's not like I'm like staggering that out by month or something. Um, but based on how our transaction was structured, um, there's been different pieces that have been paid over time. Got it. And that's when it'll go in. So when those things hit, it's pretty much like invest it. Got
0: it. So it's, it's like, is dollar cost average by design in a way or like it, like, yeah, just it. Like,
1: the way it, it has yeah.
0: How did you feel like emotionally with the? I mean, you're very long term out, but did you feel? any type of way with the market like swinging so much last year in like 2022 because that it is like an emotional thing you could say it's like you know until it like starts to see and you're like oh my gosh you know
1: yeah i mean for sure like literally lost you know millions of dollars in, <laughs> yeah. which is like funky to like actually even think about it and say now now it's paper loss so it's like you know it'll come back like, if you zoom out on the S&P for a big enough time horizon, like, the the chart goes up and to the right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, 100%.
1: Even short-term blip, and even over the past couple of weeks, it's already recovered a little bit.
0: On the alternative side, and you sent me that like, well, like cool, like, venture debt type of deal, how do you evaluate those? Like, I, I, I'm always, I think it's just because I'm a little bit more conservative, whereas I'm like, well... I don't fully know this person, and like, uh, this seems interesting. But um, I was also just watching a Bernie off Netflix documentary, and like, <laughs> and you know, like, these things go through my head, and I'm just like, ah, I just leave it. Like, with uh, you know, this this public, you know, stuff. Yeah. Um, but how how do you like even okay? Let's just say an angel deal, for example. How do you evaluate that? Is it just like, oh, you lo- believe in the founders or Or what?
1: Yeah, I mean, I fit it's a couple of things. So it's number one, with any investing, it's like never invest what you're not willing to lose, right? And with anything, I uh, in no case have I invested so much. Where, like, if if an investment in this or that startup goes to zero, like, do I care? Yeah, of course. Like, it never. It sucks having you know, a, a five-figure investment go to zero. Okay. Like, that's fine.
0: Are these, like, 10K checks, 20K checks, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, I'm usually doing somewhere in the 10 to
0: 50K. Got it. So, and try to spread as many... or years. Or is it targeted in the space that you know super well, so you feel like you have an edge? You no, know, so I I typically, I'm writing checks of that size
1: where, look, if any one of them goes to zero, like, that's expected i'll take the tax savings from you know i'll take that tax loss and apply it to another gain which lowers the the hurt there and then i'm also looking at team i'm looking at like okay who referred it to me like in the case of that debt opportunity that i sent you they had that firm had actually lend lended money to my company
0: Mm, gotcha so
1: i was i was a borrower i was a customer of theirs
0: got it so you had that experience that's great
1: so i knew them i knew those guys i knew what their like when they put when they gave us money i knew what that diligence process was and it was painful and i imagine that look if that's the process they're putting any of their customers through i want to be on their side of it got it so it's a combination of those things, and then it's you know, do I like the business? There's a company started by two women that I think it was my most recent angel check. That's kind of in the influencer marketing space. That I know just how much my wife is on Instagram and everything now, and how she's targeted for different products, and she
0: buys way too many of them. Like that, <laughs> that, that I'm <laughs> in that boat too. They're they're targeting. You know, I feel like Twitter needs to take note because their targeting is good. I buy stuff off of Instagram as well.
1: Yeah. So I'm like, you know, if the company is helping influencers do that better, like that's probably a good bet.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. That makes sense. So it, it's stuff that you feel more comfortable with it in in um in those regards. Did you buy anything cool when you uh when you sold? So
1: Not immediately. So what was kind of a crazy experience was my wife and I had bought a condo that was under construction. Uh Uh, It was being built. And so we moved in to this new place, like, I don't know, three or four weeks before the deal closed. So was in the process of negotiating term sheets, doing all the diligence and stuff while also moving home.
0: I I pour some out for you at that time because the due diligence by itself is like it not just a full time job it it's it's like two full time jobs.
1: Yeah, and so we had just moved into the place, and then deal closed. Did not buy anything cool immediately, but then about a year later, in the middle of the winter, I convinced my wife that we needed to buy a boat.
0: <laughs> in the middle of the winter.
1: In the middle of winter. It's a steal. It's a steal right now. Look, the you know, summer will be here in a few months and we need a fun toy. Was this during
0: COVID? Like when the boats were, you know, hard to find and everything like that?
1: I mean, it was in the past few years. So it was definitely during COVID. But the boat was, you know, fortunately they had a model that my wife liked. And as soon as she said because she's not a boat person. She as soon as she said, I could see myself on this. I I like this. Like I grabbed the paperwork from the guy and I signed as as fast as I could because wow. I didn't change your mind.
0: That's awesome. You, so, you like going out all the time on it?
1: Love it. Love it. Next time you're back here, uh
0: we'll have yes, to go. Yes. That would be incredible. Anything else?
1: No, I mean nothing else like cool per se. I mean it but Going through that whole process, I look at you know, there's obviously the financial benefits from it. I think there's also the learning and that just the experience. So super yeah. grateful to you know be in a position where I have experienced something that very few startup founders actually have gone through.
0: Yeah, did you ever work with a financial
1: advisor? No, I haven't officially. Like I. I talked with a couple, interviewed a couple, and I mean, ultimately, I couldn't. And I know they do great work, but I couldn't get comfortable with the fees that they charge.
0: Yeah, that's fair. We've had a couple people on mm-hmm. that are saying it's like both sides. You know, some swear by it, and uh, and and others don't. I'm a little bit split. Um, I have some with one, and that, and that's been helpful to, like, for example, looking at a home, and it's like how do you how, how should i structure this or what should i do how, how is it best to pay for it especially with you know rates the way they are very high right now so yeah it's interesting did you feel any lifestyle creep uh,
1: maybe a little yeah a little bit right like you go from drinking like two buck chuck to drinking good <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. Really oh just
0: just buy the bottle. Yeah, well let's go ahead and get the bottle. <laughs> yeah. So it's like
1: That type of like stuff where I, I definitely think the bar has, has crept up, but nothing like outrageous, like having don't have a fleet of nice cars or anything. Like
0: Yeah. How is your mindset afterwards with with working for the company? Uh, you know, there's an interesting like mind shift, right? Of like, I think when you're running the business, there's who else to solve it? It's you. Partner. You know, you're always up against the wall to to keep pushing it forward. Afterwards, there's definitely an adjustment to that. And I, I personally felt this like, oh, I have to be doing something. I have to be doing something. And then after, it's a little of, okay, awesome. There's a great team that's there to handle stuff. I don't know. how how was your How was your thought process going through all that? Yeah, some... My thought process, I mean, all along, like even...
1: So when we sold the company, we had, I don't know, 50 50 employees or so. So at that point, I wasn't... I really tried to delegate as much as I could and tried to hire people better than me to do everything. And so as I looked at the... Now working for the company, we as part of the acquisition, had essentially a three-year employment contract with milestones at each each one-year mark. So there's a, a large retention bonus and it's paid out over that time. So I think it was like 30, 30, 40%. So 40% of this Bonuses paid at the end of year three, 30% at the one and two year mark. And so it's a big enough number to make it worth staying for. Sure. And so the way that I chunked this out in my head and broken it up is I said, look, year one after the acquisition is really their year. It's the company's year. I'm going to actually continue working my ass off, give them a full 100% effort. Year two is my year. Year two is just, you know, at that point, my at the end of year one, my goal was have the same kind of trusted management team, exec leadership team around me so that I could delegate stuff. And and if I went away for year two, like they wouldn't really miss me. And then in my mind, year three, which we're getting into now is year three is really a figure out what's next year. Got it. So mentally, I, I broke it up that way. It's worked for me.
0: Do you feel good mentally? Like, in a, I don't know, like, how you were feeling, obviously, towards when the transaction happened. I felt like I was, uh, yeah, I think birthday was the right word. How do you feel? Yeah.
1: I mean, I did, I think for me, when the deal closed, it was more relief than anything. It was like a, you know, holy shit. Like, <laughs> yeah the way i'm feeling right now is i think how i'd probably want to feel right now which is energized there's some what's the opposite of complacency like there there's some energy and some fire around like okay impatience around like you know let's figure out what's next like there's let's, let's some hunger around what's the next big thing to go solve and and spend time
0: so that was like a year and a half in, you feel like then that that, that that hunger started to kick in?
1: It's probably been really over the last couple of months. So, really around the like two year mark.
0: Got it. Cool. I think, lastly, like a- anybody going through this experience, is there anything that you'd say to them with you now, you know, being a year and a half or two years out or so that, yeah, you'd give them a heads up about? So I
1: think there's a couple of things. So number one, for anyone who's considering selling a company that's going through that process, my tips, because as I said earlier, like we went through that dance with several people over the years, Uh there were a couple emanated discussions that we thought were like really close that fell apart. Yeah. So what I would say is that's natural. That will happen. People will, you know, poke around and try and see what you're doing and not go through with an acquisition. So don't, don't take that personally. Just keep your head down and stick with it. And eventually someone will realize the beauty in what you're building and, and will pay a lot for it. I think for others who have just had a a transaction that they've just sold a company, they've just gotten that exit, I would really try and, Spend some time, quiet time sitting and thinking about, you know, how long, where do I want my future from here? And what's the next, you know, one, three, five years look like? What do I care about personally? And be very intentional about it. I think especially for people who have had the success of an exit, like you're in the driver's seat. You can call the shots and make those decisions. So figure out what's important to you and- and make the most of it
0: that's amazing how do you think you know kind of diving into that how do you think you would be intentional about it like what you know because it's a very interesting like open-ended question that has a lot of options that may even be overwhelming there so what do you think it looks like
1: yeah so well i think it so it looks different for every person right and every person's situation is unique but so for me And I can just share this experience having been through it is when the deal closed and I had this large bonus that was going to be paid out over three years. I, I spent a lot of time actually thinking like, you know, it's a lot of, it's a meaningful number. It's in the, I mean, it's, it's a seven figure amount. So, but relative to what we had just sold for, it wasn't, you know, huge. So I looked at it and I said, do I intend to stay for this or not? And I really weighed the pros and cons. And for me, it wasn't just a money thing. It was a get the experience of actually working for a large tech company that I had never done before. And so it was really trying to like be thoughtful about why and why not. And so I can confidently say like every morning when i wake up like am i thrilled to go to come go to work for a big megacorp no but i can find reasons to get out of bed and come to work and then i think similar to how i probably thought through bringing it into three phases or three parts with very clear goals for each of those periods And year one was their year and year one in, in the sense was, look, they're going to get a good effort from me and I'm going to put in place the tools and the people so that I can kind of mentally take off year two. And then year two, the goal was, Hey, have a, have this business really running, be energized, be recharged. And then year three is let's figure out what's next. So for me, just Having that playbook and having these very clear goals in mind was very key and helpful in, in kind of thinking through that.
0: That is awesome. That is super helpful. But
1: again, everyone's situation will be different. Everyone's like, whether it's the earnout, the retention bonus, like right? It's different for every person, but I think just applying that, like, take what the circumstances are, understand what you can and can't control and figure out where you want to put your effort
0: right i like it thanks for uh thanks for spending the time and being very honest and and candid about all this stuff hopefully it's helpful for other people and yeah thanks to folks out there for listening after the exit don't forget to hit subscribe and where the heck you're listening to this and uh, hopefully you find it helpful too
1: awesome good talking with you man
0: likewise